Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of the Cast of Caw, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the one, the only, the DJ. I'm here. I'm a little gravelly, but I think this is a gravelly episode. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, a little bit. I think so. You're like doing your best impression of the doorkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so our listeners don't know that you are like, uh, you were doing a little bit of a show this weekend. Oh, yeah. Punk uh, we DJ came out to play. Did a 20-year reunion show of the band of the Hot Carls. So you... <laughs> and then we released a commemorative album called Your Mom Loves the Hot Carls. Oh, that's amazing. How do I get my hands on one of those? Uh, send Matt an email. I think he can hook you up. Yeah, I want one. All it's right. actually got five bands on it, so go buy those today. Yeah. But, all right. <laughs> I mean, can people actually buy them? Um, I don't I don't know if he posted them This would be where anywhere. you would plug them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a bad, at, at bad, at, bad at plugging this week, so sorry, guys. Uh, no email me worries. offline or Rachel offline if you really want to get a copy. There you go. Perfect. Um. <laughs> Give us an iTunes review. We'll send you a Hot Carl's album. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Pay to play. Pay to play. <laughs> All right. So this episode, we are going to be continuing our journey through the wastelands with an in-depth review uh, or conversation about Book One: Jake, Fear and a Handful of Dust, Chapter Three: Door and Demon, Sections <laughs> Twenty Six through Forty Four. Uh, which is the end of this section. I'm so excited. We're finally going to get over this hump. Woo! This is uh, and into a... the next hump. Yep. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's exciting. Uh, we also have some awesome listener email. Uh, the last two episodes, we had like done a call or we had asked people to explain how they envision the Stephen King world, how it works, and the or and also like how the dream injury stuff works, and we got some answers, and they're pretty cool. So like these are than than I would have to say. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like I would not have come up with these answers, and one like one in particular is very in depth. And interesting and like help me visualize the world in a new way that was pretty cool but we'll get into that at the end the thing is, is it's kind of spoilery in terms of like the whole series uh, okay so i'm gonna save the 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 emails till the end so that people who have you know read the books can feel comfortable and people who haven't can duck out so yeah so that's the plan i guess there's no new updates for the series so we don't do that there is some stephen king universe connections but I'm going to probably do them as we go instead of saving it for the end because they don't spoil the series. Okay, sounds good. All right. So uh, before we get into our review, we did get a new iTunes review. Ooh. Yes. So this one who actually comes from one of our letter writers. This is our first international review. And I – okay, so for people who don't know, if you are reviewing us in another country, it doesn't actually show up in our iTunes, like our, our U.S. iTunes. You have to, like, manually go in and look at all the different countries. And so I happened to find this one. And also the person coincidentally also told me that they had had put uh, had done this review or I would not have seen it because it's actually from Spain. Oh. So if you are in another country and you have reviewed us on iTunes and I haven't read it on the show, it's because I didn't know it was there. Just shoot me a quick email at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com and let me know so that I can track it down. And I will go and like manually put in the country code and find the review because I don't want to people spend the time to do this. I don't want to overlook them, but like 
literally there's hundreds of countries. <laughs> so I can't, and I mean, even I'm not that neurotic. Close, close. I do regularly check the usual suspects, but I had not been checking some of the like non-English language ones. So, so yeah. So let me know. <laughs> All right. So this review comes from Mario, who is a longtime listener and who is one of our letter writers this week. So we'll hear from him again. Um, he gave us five stars because he's the best. And he says, the best Dark Tower podcast. Hi, everyone. This is a great podcast. I really have a great time with DJ and Rachel every uh, every time. If you like Stephen King but haven't read The Dark Tower, this is for you. You will discover a whole new world. If you do like the DT books, you will love to learn things that were hidden at first. And if you love The Dark Tower, you will finally find out you're not alone in your DT nerd nerdism. It's going to be a long day. Nerdism. It's always so weird when you like actually meet another Dark Tower fan in person. Yeah. like You think it's kind of like... It's kind of like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. You, you like you know people have read it and it's popular, but like you have no idea who is hiding among us that right. has read the Dark Towers and is interested in it. When you find another Dark Tower nerd, like you're like, oh my god, I have this theory. Uh, like it never is just like a passing fandom. It always is like turns into an intense conversation. Because there's so much. There's so much. All right. Yeah. So I I think we're ready to roll on. Yeah, to, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so real quick. What's our spoiler warning? Our spoiler warning, as usual, guys, is that if we're going to cross the line in the sand that we have drawn for you to protect you from yourself and the future of the books, we will let you know and give you time to escape, unlike some things that will attack you in the night. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. So. I don't know, but I like it. Uh, so we won't let you down. Uh, we'll tell you in advance, and we won't make a sound until you are free. Done. Got it. That's, that's the weirdest spoiler <laughs> zone I've weird. done in a while. I liked it, though. It felt like old school DJ. I was kind of <laughs> like, something broke loose in you at that Hot Carl's show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So let's dig into the synopsis, Deej. All right, so where we left off, uh, Jake was kind of stalking Eddie and his brother through the uh, streets and up to the haunted mansion that uh, they had wanted to go up and visit. And meanwhile, uh, the gang on the other side in Midworld found the speaking ring and have wandered up to the spot where they know that the gate leads to Jake on the other side. Uh, But they know also that there is a demon there. Um, that demon needs to find someone to ravage. And, uh, <laughs> that incidentally will be Detta. No spoilers there. Um, so now that we've, we're there, Jake basically leaves or watches the brothers walk away and is hanging out in front of this old Dutch Hill mansion. He's kind of looking at it. It's detritus people are actually kind of like walking to the other stride of the street to avoid this place. And at first he's like, well, is somebody going to, you know, arrest me or come get me because I'm going up to this building? But he realizes that the building like puts off such a weird vibe that everybody sort of avoids it and looks the other way. So Jay kind of wanders up to the door. He There's a big um, like uh, log or piece of wood in front of the door that he has to kind of pry loose. And he touches the door handle and it kind of gives him this like crazy um, – sensation and he he sort of has like the same flashback memory thing that he got when he 
found the rose in that parking lot and and it sort of like gets whispery voices he he gets like mm-hmm. some sort of realizations and then he also sort of hears a menacing voice which uh is i guess the start of the house sort of talking to him and rachel before i continue like flying through this section <laughs> like this is where like he starts hearing the voices like uh yeah. and you've got double double uh, dashes here so uh, yeah. what what do you want to dive into before i just like fly past this section sure okay well you're already kind of touching on exactly what i want to talk about which is the um, the, the voices that he hears when he gets to this door or right outside this door, he describes them as a chorus of the damned um, okay. and compares them to the voices that he heard while he was in the lot. It's kind of like, you know, a dark, evil version of the, the, the voices that are surrounding the magic that is in the parking lot. Right. Yeah. And it also made me think about when Eddie heard the noises at that power box near Shardik's lair. If you remember, he like put his ear to it and he went into that trance and he like said all this crazy stuff right mm-hmm. okay so this is actually really interesting to me i'm just gonna go back and, and read the quote from when he had his head against the box he said all is silent in the halls of the dead all is forgotten in the stone halls of the dead behold the stairways which stand in darkness behold the rooms of ruin these are the halls of the dead where the spiders spin and the great circuits fall quiet one by one when you hear that does it make you think of anything? Well, so this is actually the bit that I wanted to kind of talk to you about. So let's move a little bit forward from here, but okay. hold that in your mind for a second. Yes, yes, so yes, yes. Jake roll, uh, you know, pulls the door uh, debris and detritus off and like rolls into the house. And the house, like immediately there's bones and, and kind of uh, refuse laying all over the place. And he looks at it. It looks like they're maybe animal bones or whatever. But then like – there's this little scene where the spiders start like kind of just dropping mm-hmm. out of the ceiling onto him. And the description is that they like pop like, um, like water balloons mm-hmm. and he's like smashing them all over his body. And they're just like falling onto him in this like disgusting manner. And so now taking that and pausing again, and then going back to the, the quote that you just read, yeah. like, is that like is is that imagery meant to call back to that section? I kind of feel like it is. Like if you remember when Eddie has like dream when Eddie and Jake are dreaming about each other, there's all these details that seem self-evident in the moment, but then like retroactively you realize that there's actually this other significance to them. And I kind of feel like that's a little bit of what is happening here with the with this this quote from Eddie that he heard, right? Because he talks about the stairways and inside the room is stairways in the darkness. And he talks about rooms of ruin, which we're thinking of like vast hallways that are like, you know, crumbling ruins, but it could very well be like this room that is described as like full of rot and decay, right? The halls of the dead where the spiders spin, that sounds like somewhere where you would see piles of bones and um, and rotting rats and things like that. Like, basically, he's describing all of these things. And on one hand, I feel like it's kind of a premonition. But like mm-hmm. the dreams, it's complicated. Like, it's not just a premonition. There's also, like, some foreshadowing or or other things going on, which kind of, because it's complicated like that, it's not as obvious when you're reading it which is good writing, I think. Um, So there's the stuff of like the circuits falling dead uh, quiet one by one. And I was thinking about how like the halls of the dead could be interpreted as the damned and hearing the voices of the damned, but also inside the house is this demon gatekeeper that is basically like 
a mystical version of the robot guardian, right? Created, okay. which is like... So like Shardic sort of in, in-house in format. Right, exactly. So if I understand you correctly, you're basically saying that science has duplicated what was also being done by magic. Yes. Um, deep-spirited and old school, because like... Yeah. I, I don't know. So it's far enough apart for me. And, and those are like multi-use items. This is like a single use and it's done type of, of thing unless i'm thinking incorrectly and and so i almost pictured it as like um these like spirits that wait for their one time calling to mm. do their one thing and then after that they have succeeded or failed like that it's a test to see if you deserve to go through oh. and like so i kind of pictured it as like Okay, as the like a great world creator, I have left this one time use thing and you must pass all the tests on either side before you can pass through. And once you've passed through, you're done. And if you fail, you will die. And, and so that's how I thought of it. I didn't think of it as an analog to the digital, if that makes any well, sense. Well, I mean, I feel like and these guardians exist to like this. I think the keys were a one-time use, obviously, okay. because, like, one of them breaks in half as soon as it gets used. But um, my understanding is this is just a part of where the worlds, you could actually, are close enough that the worlds could connect. And so there's, like, these guardians on either side that protect them, and that's what why they are there, is specifically to protect the, like, or because the world is thin in those places, like, things are able to escape the toad ash. So then, um, I guess the next question would be, and you're, it seems, sounds like you're better at this than I am. Well, I don't know about um, that. <laughs> so, the, uh, so then do the Guardians disappear after the the uh, transition is closed? Because, you know, I like. I don't think so. Well. I mean, okay. I think they, what, Roland throws one of them into the mouth of the other one. Yeah, so, yeah, like, exactly. They both and die, but I don't know that they would have disappeared. I was holding off on jumping that far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, no, that's sorry, okay, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Um, but okay. So let's, let's table that for a second. I, okay. I think that's really good discussion. Um, and I think you're probably more right than I am. Uh, I, I mean, you... I think that's so up for, it's so up for debate. I don't know that I'm right. I like, like... your idea better than I like mine. So. Okay. Fair. <laughs> I just thought it was like a one-time task. It's like, yeah, to advance this, you must pass these tests, you know, like mm-hmm. the uh, old drink from the chalice of life type of thing. Like. You have to, you know, go through the arrow room and then, like, walk the invisible stairs and yeah. then, like, get up and choose the right cup. And so that's what it sort of felt like to me, but I didn't I really... mean, that's in keeping with the, like, hero's journey, right? Yeah, Like, exactly. the trials and tribulations you have to go through. Um, really quickly before we move on, I just want to point out that we get our first, like... Did I already talk about how, like, there's a, an it reference here? Uh, no. Okay. Didn't. When Jake is outside the door, he mm-hmm. talks about how he hears something inside and it sounds like something hungry, like slurping inside a, um, a concrete tube, which is our first sort of like it reference, right? Because like it lives in the sewers. Sewers and, and the sewers are concrete yes. tubes. And like, that would be like, whatever, a little bit of a stretch, except for that we, in a, like in this next section, we're going to get into an actual specific, like definite connection between the two things. So, um, so now, I do think that, and I think, yeah, like the idea of like the spiders dropping down, that's very it like, but yeah, specifically true. that, that's that inside house, because we have the Dutch Hill mansion here in the, in the book, there's something called like the, the Niebolt mansion, which is like kind of where it hangs out. It has connections to the sewers. So um, there are similar 
similar kind of like layer house layer hmm. illusions and then there is a, a a specific connection coming up okay well that's that's actually cool i didn't pick up the it reference in there until you mm-hmm. mentioned it now, one more question, Rachel, because you're obviously more detailed than I am. I thought when he touched the door handle, there was also another quote that came up. Actually, yes, there is. And I couldn't um, remember what it is, and I didn't see it in your notes, and I know no, it's really No, I'm really, really glad important. you brought it up. I'm glad you brought it up, because actually, if we had kept going, I would have been like, oh, shit, I gotta go back. Okay, so this, like I told you at the beginning of this, all my notes are, like, super heavy in the beginning. So, um... When he touches the door, we get our third and final reference to the fear and a handful of dust quote that, like, this section takes its name from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it's I went through the book, like, well, through the, you know, digital book and, like, searched. This is literally the last time that this phrase comes up. And so I went back and I looked at all the times it came up and I realized, like, we should probably talk about it. This is actually kind of important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... The significance of this poem, we've talked about it a little bit in the past, right? It's T.S. Eliot's The Wastelands. And it's like part of where the name of this book comes from. Um, but I think we can talk about it one more time and then move on from Fear and a Handful of Dust. But um, it's a actually a reference to a biblical phrase, um, Ecclesiastics 3.20, which is the like, from dust, we are born from dust, dust we, you know, return. Yep. exactly. And so... Like what this quote is about is um, about considering your own mortality. Um, And so the first time that Jake says it in the book is the day that he was supposed to have died. It's that night he's in bed and he has his very first urge to open a door. And in that, in the mix of that, when he's thinking about it, um, he describes things sort of like poetically and fear and a handful of deaths comes up in that. And says, he threw back the covers, suddenly knowing that the door was beside his bookcase no longer led to the bathroom. It was a world that smelled of heat and purple sage and fear and a handful of dust. A world that now lay under the shadowing wing of night. Um, I I can tell him, but I won't have to because uh, I'll be in him. I'll be him. So so that's the first time we get that reference. The second time is in his essay, My Understanding of Truth, where he quotes it at the beginning in at the beginning of his um, essay. um, But he attributes it to T.S. Butch um, Eliot. And then this is the final time when he grabs the door handle of of the Dutch Hill Mansion. And it's his last, you know, like this is also the last time that he's going to have that sense of sureness that Midworld lays behind it. Um, and I think the purpose of the use of this, this is just my theory, is it's about pondering your mortality, but it's also, if you think about the quote and like where it actually comes from, this idea of like from dust to dust, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also about returning to the true state, your true state, right? Like you came from dust and someday you will be dust again. And Jake is on the verge of basically either dying because he's going into this house where like it's very likely he's going to face a gruesome death or if he's successful he'll be returning to his true self which is to be a gunslinger yes right like he i mean he is a child who is like lost in new york like he is like he knows he is an outsider he doesn't belong here he belongs in midworld he belongs in roland's world he belongs with uh, uh, he he is meant to be a gunslinger that's what his true destiny is meant to be and so if he were to return to his natural state it would be to be a gunslinger so yeah i think that's pretty deep i I like it um i was just thinking when i i heard that quote and i wanted to make sure we talked about it because my thoughts were just like 
it was a, it's like a dusty old house and then Jake's becoming like his true self mm-hmm. and th- that's all I thought was like well it meant that he's like returning to the grave like he, he's inevitably dying by going to midworld yeah. so I didn't think of it as like him uh like the when you took it to the like dust I came from I took it to more like it was an ominous statement that like guess what buddy you're walking into your own demise right and I mean, it, yeah, that's but, totally legit. Okay. <laughs> the other thing like... is, is that kind of makes sense with like later, like from here on out, we go from like death to, um, metaphors all into birth metaphors. So like, it kind of makes sense what oh, you're yeah, saying, you know what I mean? Like he's being reborn. And well, so he's dying as he goes into this house, right? And keep that one in, in mind when we get to the very end of this with, like, Roland and his promises and, like, you know, so on. Right. Cause Man. That, <laughs> that, like, puts an extra, like, kind of weird spin on it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. And, and <laughs> yeah. that, that's how I kind of linked them together, but it doesn't necessarily – like, I like the way you went a little bit better because it was deeper. Mine was just like, no, of course. He's just walking to his death, marching past the graveyard, you know? like. I so. mean, I think you, you and I are totally on the same page. I just like, you know – you got the feels for it. I went the the full neurotic route. <laughs> like, I can't help myself. <laughs> so now we get into the stuff we've been a little bit like hesitant to talk about. Right. So yeah. We have Detta yeah. taking over the body and like she's sort of daydreaming yep, 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 of the yep, days yep. when she used to have legs and she would go to where the, the honky boys hung out and mm-hmm. like pick one out. And get him back to her car or wherever and, like, get him so riled up that they were about to explode and then, like, tell him no. And then, like, sometimes she'd get punched in the face. Sometimes they'd cry and break out into tears. You know, uh, all kinds of random experiences. But she was basically, like, bringing these guys to the point of where they were about ready to, like, get a naked lady in their bed and then she's like nope and walked away and like leaving him with blue balls and and that was her like sort of weird dead a walker game so and she makes that statement in preface to the fact that like at no point did any of these uh, uh encounters ever lead to her having intercourse with any of these people or being raped by any of these people and at that point, like it's sort of like it's her winner statement. Like I, I, I always beat them, uh, but this encounter with the demon is obviously not the case. Um, and, and Stephen King gets a bit graphic here, Rachel. Yeah, I don't love it. <laughs> I, it's not my favorite. Um, <laughs> a, apparently, uh, demons uh, of Cox are, are are very cold and icy, and he basically like rips her clothes off and attacks her and at this moment like Detta has almost a, a pure rage and hatred for both Roland and Eddie as, her. as she's like she she obviously volunteered for this but like at the same time she's the only one that could do it and then um, even though it was something she accepted it's still something that she hates in the deepest part of her being and so this whole like demon and her romping is like this sort of like almost a floating in the air as the demon takes her and Roland uh, sort of like explains to her in this moment that um, it is his his greatest desire, but it's also his greatest weakness. And, And this sort of like gives her the idea to like sort of, grip onto the demon a little bit and I, mm. I won't go too far into that yet but like 
Let's stop there for a second. Okay. And just go back. You have one star here, Rachel. So uh, yeah. what what have I breezed past too fast? Oh, I mean, nothing really. Um, I won't talk about that. We talked about this a lot last episode, so I'm not going to go like too deep into it again. But I do appreciate that King is not equivocating here about whether or not this is a rape. It is a rape. It's called a rape. Um, and I do appreciate that the story is being told through Susanna's perspective. A lot of times these kinds of stories, uh, you don't get like any internal life with the character, especially when you have these like really problematic tropes about like your characters of color existing to sacrifice themselves for the, like the white heroes of the story. Um, so by centering her and her experience, this definitely helps prevent some of that. It's still, it's not great, but it could have been worse. Also, um, the one good thing about this is I do feel like we got a new perspective on like what was happening in those cars with the guys. Mm-hmm. Like when we were being told in about it through with Detta's voice, I don't know that because of the delivery is so kind of off-putting that like I don't think I totally understood exactly what was happening in terms of like what she's doing in this car is all about power and um like living in the south in the 1950s i would assume even with someone who had wealth um like she probably felt pretty powerless um and so like this was about it wasn't just about being cruel it was also kind of about power and so that kind of plays into this dynamic of where she's like okay well the situation is bad but like i'm going to i'm going to reclaim some power in the situation and that's actually exactly where i hoped you were going to go okay. so uh, that, and that's why i stopped right there so mm-hmm. at that moment um roland tells her about the demon's weakness and she determines that she's going to basically fuck this demon to death and like she like grabs on tight and like he kind of pulls back for a second and she just like holds on for dear life and like you can this is where you start to sense that the like the demon realizes that like he got what he wanted but he got what he wanted <laughs> you know what i mean yeah there's um and a description where they're like a Chinese finger trap that I yep, don't love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really love it. <laughs> I don't either, but but it's, but I mean it's it's evocative. <laughs> well, it's it's like that. It's like every um, I always wanted this needful things or like the um, mm. a, a, every um, tales from the crypt where like someone's like, if only I had this, and then careful what you wish for yeah it's like a wishmaster situation yep and so uh, i i thought that like that's why i was hoping you were talking about her like kind of taking power of the situation is because like even though it's um a bad situation she's like you know what i'm gonna own this and like kind of digs in deep sometimes the only power you have is the power you like reclaim yeah exactly Okay, so we've we've tossed that under the bus. Let's go back to New York City where Jake continues to explore the mansion. He's like looking around. Chased by spiders. Yes. My nightmare. Spiders. And then like the the rooms start to change a little bit. It starts with just detritus. And then he like kind of gets into an area where there's like wallpaper. And the question I have for you, Rachel, Ah. is why are there elves on the wallpaper? I'm so pleased that you asked Because that that was like such a really specific thing that I was like, what? What?" I mean – Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so this is the direct connection to it. Oh, okay. Yes. This book came out in 1991. Mm -hmm. It came out five years earlier. No, is that right? 
1986? Yes. I can do math. <laughs> yeah, that's five years. So I talked a little bit about the the mansion on Kneebolt Street, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple minutes ago, so I hope you remember. Um, so when the kids, the Losers Club, goes into that the mansion, there's a part where they're in inside and they see the exact same wallpaper in that house. Really? So, yes. So this is a direct connection between Nebolt Street and Dutch Hill Mansion. Hmm. And so that's why I'm wondering, is this meant to be an interpretation? We know that, spoiler alert for it, sorry, like, it is a creature that comes from the macroverse. Yeah. Does that tell us that the origin of our doorkeeper is also the macroverse? Like, did the uh, the job absorb it, or is it the job? What? Well, so, like, okay, so uh, the creature from It, like, mm-hmm. did he become the Guardian after that point, or? No, no, I don't think they're the same creature. I think, are they the same kind of creature, or are they from the oh, same place? Okay. Because It is, like, depending on what perspective you take on it, it's either this, like, Cthulhu-like Lovecraftian god, immortal god, or it's just sort of like a monster. I thought um, it was, like, a spidery thing that, like like lived on like people and stuff yes so it's like a it's this like alien god creature that like lives on people and like enjoys the taste of fear is what it is right but like it in the world that it's from the macroverse and we'll get into it when we get to book seven um or maybe even sooner i can't remember but like it is not really that big a deal in the macroverse like there are bigger monsters there huh yeah and so but in our world, he feels like this giant immortal monster. Um, but I thought the direct, like, visual connection that King is making, saying, like, both of these houses, where they're, both of these layers have this particular um, wallpaper, is kind of a cool little Easter egg. But I also kind of get the sense that it's a signifier that what we're dealing with potentially could be another macroverse hmm. creature. Okay, I, I would buy that. I was thinking more along the lines of like the spiders were like a symbolic thing that they threw in there, and then you're mentioning the. Uh, I mean, I think it's all like meant to prime you, right? But like, not necessarily to like make them one for one with each other. No. Okay. I think he's making a connection. Because I was like, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I'm if getting it or not, but like, okay, maybe he, they absorbed him into the house and like used him as the guardian. Like, uh, it could be something, I guess. I don't know. Okay. So regardless of my poorly thought out uh, synopsis. No, it's fine. (laughs) So the wallpaper, that was excellent. Uh, Thank you, Rachel. I didn't, I wondered what the hell that was about. Um, (laughs) I thought maybe you were going to talk about like at one point there's like a, there's a daguerreotype of a hanged man. Yeah, but that's just like some weird menacing thing that Stephen King threw in at random. I didn't feel like it was It's another tarot card, right? Oh, is it? Yeah. So. Um, I, don't, I don't know tarot I, cards that well, so clearly you never went through a Wicca phase in high school. Um, I, I <laughs> did you not see the craft? I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, I watched the craft, but I did not learn a lot other than no, I, that uh, <laughs> I'm you can absorb other witches' powers. Um, but right. <laughs> okay, so the hanged man in tarot, see, um, it represents ultimate surrender and sacrifice, or being suspended in time. which actually kind of makes sense right because like there's a thing about jake stepping across the threshold and being like i have already left 
left New York and I am in the hell in between worlds. Yeah, that's true. And it gets to this idea of death and the like from dust to dust. Hmm. Mm. Stephen King. And it ties back to the whole tarot thing that we had from from uh, um, Drawing of Three. Okay, I like it. I, All right. I like what you're doing there. Okay, so <laughs> Jake passes the the um, uh, kind of elf dancing wallpaper and, like, starts to wander in a little bit further, and he sees a, a door with the boy written on it, which, like, this is reminiscent of the drawing of the three. And then there's a keyhole. So, you know, that's a good thing, right? Right. <laughs> and and so, it says the boy over it. So, yeah, so I mean, that's... Drawing that's, of three. There you go, right there. Mm-hmm. And so then this is about the point where the house sort of, like wakes up and starts biting at his heels a, a bit and like things start to come to life and groan and crackle yeah. and uh jake starts like kind of running down this what i imagine is like an ever-growing hallway right, right. S- sort of like something out of Coraline, you know where you're just mm-hmm. like it keeps stretching and stretching and you don't know if you're gonna get to the door <laughs> yeah and then cut and we move on to the other side with the gang. Uh, yes. Detta is battling the demon that is uh, on top of her and, like, squeezing down on him. Mm-hmm. And Eddie is, like, trying to use the key and r- realizes, like, in a moment, th- he sort of has this, like, calming of himself. And he talks to himself. And I think the term he says is the blanket of fear is lifted from you. Uh, see the yeah. see your opportunity. It is still not too late. And he looks at the key, and that's not working on his side of the door, and realizes that he hasn't quite got that little curve correct. And he takes out his knife and makes that change. And at, at that point, like you sort of feel like all of the emotional baggage from his brother and their history and so on uh, falls away with that last cut of the key. And Mm -hmm. that cut of the key also provides him with all the confidence that he actually can accomplish the task that he has set forth to do. And and this is like our character change moment where like he goes from uh, Eddie, the kind of like cowardly lion to Eddie, the, (laughs) I found my heart when I met the professor sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was pretty good. But then at the same time, like he's also experiencing this, like, sort of like distracted rage as he sees Detta, you know, with her clothes ripped off, battling yeah. the demon. And he looks at the door and it's it's still not quite working. And he has a flash of inspiration and realizes that wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um I need to write the boy on this side of the door as well. And so he scribbles that down on there, and then I believe we start to hear the cracking of the monster on Jake's side, and, like, Roland is sort of prepping everybody to get ready. Mm-hmm. And then, so you have one star there, anything that I breezed past too fast. Just that as this is all happening, like, the storm is gathering, like, it's raining, and it's turning to hail, and it's getting more and more intense, and, like, if it goes into these, you know, very obvious... Birth like and labor kind of metaphors, right? Like the growing storm that increases intensity is very reminiscent of like 
labor pains because the world is about to give birth. I didn't think of that until you actually mentioned it just a little bit ago. Like, oh, okay. What I just were you was thinking? like, oh, I just thought like, well, Stephen King wants to draw some aviance to this, like, um, you know, because like, yeah. so if you're connecting two worlds together, like, uh, anytime you've seen, like, remember that high school movie where there's like uh, dinosaurs get zapped into the high school and then like different parts of history get zapped into the high school, and every time there's like a, a melding of time, like a storm has to, a time storm has to like pop out somehow and so i was just sort of visualizing like well you know they're connecting two worlds together obviously yeah. there's going to be like a vortex and some like crazy micro bursts of rain and you know whatever yeah. i didn't think of it as a birthing thing so much so yeah i mean i think that that's true too like if you think about like the end of ghostbusters when the yeah, like, exactly. storm is on top of the building right like i could i think you're right like it does kind of lend this sort of but I was being more sciencey, and you were of, being more like uh, uh, metaphorical. And I, I think, mean, I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? Yeah, like, yeah, so like, I do think that it definitely King is an extremely visual writer, and I think that knowing that this like water and hail is just like beating down on them as they're trying to do this definitely creates a very particular atmosphere to the scene. But I also think he, you know, he loves a metaphor, right? And, like, I think the increasing storm could be a little bit of both. Because, like, in a little bit, we're going to have, like, Roland crowning through the door. So, like... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I probably should have picked up on that one. That's not subtle. (laughs) Right. All right, so Eddie, like, has that uh, kind of, like, burst of of imagination and, like, figures out to write the boy across the door. And then we cut back to Jake on the other side, who is, like, starting to actually have to grapple with this emerging monster from the walls. And, yes. like, Jake has, like, sort of a panic attack for a moment as a young boy and, like, doesn't think that he's going to actually survive this encounter but at the last minute, I don't know if it's the psychic energy from the other side or, or what's going on, but he sort of like shakes it loose and makes a break for it. The The monster makes several grabs at him and gets his shoe instead of him. And mm-hmm. in the and other pants, yeah, well, Poor kid. so it starts out with one shoe and then like another swipe and a grab and then like pretty soon it's pants and a shoe. And it's like, like so, the worst game of strip poker ever. Yeah. So now I imagine Jake is running around and is like. Possibly crusty tidy whities after being. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and so, oh my god. and and actually, so at this point, I just wanted to stop and say, like, remember uh, when Eddie like went up against the gangsters naked? Like, yeah, I wasn't one hundred percent sure. Interesting, but I felt like that was sort of what Stephen King was going for because we have this sort of parallel between uh, Eddie and Jake, and like. Eddie in a battle like strips down nothing. Jake in a battle gets like stripped, but like that right. helps him escape and makes him like better at getting through this. So, uh, as you have your uh, insight, that that was mine. It's like I was kind no, of picturing that's a that good combination. One. I had not thought about that. This is kind of a parallel scene to that, right? Like, yeah, and there's something about being stripped naked and fighting through anyway that is, you know. It, it kind of makes it more dramatic. And then the other question I, I wanted to bring up, and like maybe you've researched this and I just don't know it. Why does the doorkeeper start with just one eye? Uh, I think it's just like forming. Oh, okay, okay. I wasn't yeah. sure if that like meant something because like 
he like was, if it was very some spe- sort of like cyclops mythology or something yeah because he was very specific to say like his one eye and his mouth opened and so on and it's like well why does he have just one eye like uh, and then there's no mention of eyes after that so i was like well okay um is that important am i and i racked my brain i could not for the life of me come up with any parallels or analogs that would would work with that so probably just you know literature right no that's interesting i should have probably looked up mythology around cyclopses um yeah, there probably is something to this now that you say that. I just, my interpretation was that it was still slowly forming because there's like stuff about his like shoulder coming out. But you're right, they never revisit the eyes. No, and then the other thing is and like, like apparent, oh, and cyclopses are man eating monsters. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. And and that's the only thing I could think of, but maybe that's something to throw to the listeners. Guys, Yes, why the Cyclops? There's a lot of smart people out there. Why the Cyclops? You guys are smarter than us, and you probably have thought about this too. The Cyclops threw me off. Now, the other thing I, I kind of wanted to uh, talk about for a second is like the house, even though like, yeah, you got a shoulder and a hand and a head, it seems like simultaneously little parts of the house are also doing their own like – uh, oblivious to the main monster thing mm-hmm. the mouths and the walls yeah exactly and so i almost like when we started entering the house there was the mentions of the of the bones and the creatures laying around and then your link to it and i was wondering like and, and this is why i earlier jumped to the conclusion that like maybe this is it is because you know he he feeds on so many people Mm. are those the like angry fear spirits of each of those people like dancing around the main monster i don't know i I, I didn't know either i just kind of thought that the house itself was a monster and so it was just like grabbing at him yeah and maybe i'm digging too deep i mean let's see here when is this 19 when is this taking place is this the 80s uh yeah yeah okay so i mean potentially it could be some yeah i mean timeline wise I don't know. So the reason I ask is because it just to me felt like there's the main monster and he's like being described one way. And then there's a bunch of little monsters and they're sort of like doing their own thing independently. Whereas if like he had control of the whole house as a whole, like why would he have like, why would he just, just... bite his feet or something? Exactly. Yeah, That's a good, I mean, I kind of feel like Stephen King might be cheating a little bit just because the, the idea of it almost biting his hands. So like, Ooh, like it's such an effective little jump scare. Oh, um, uh, true. Uh, but and... I don't, I mean, maybe sure. Okay. And the other thing that I want to add to that, like uh side is that, as the monster like pulls himself together, less of that little external stuff happens, and it's like it, all of the stuff that's in the house gets sucked into the main creature. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like he's pulling all those spirits or whatever out into his main body, sort that of like could um, be. I, I kind of pictured um, Boogie Boogie Man in uh, mm. you know we're like. As a whole, he is like just made up of a bunch of little creatures that fill yeah. up the thing. They do. He it, like um, Jake does talk about feeling like something is gathering, right? Yeah, exactly. And so why couldn't it be like an oogie boogie situation? And again, like if anybody has any better thoughts on this, like uh, this is just my my squirrely brain poking around <laughs> trying to figure out I what's mean, going on. I kind of feel like that makes sense. I'm into it. Okay. I, I buy the Oogie Boogie theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
at first I was like, well, has he absorbed enough mice and little creatures that they're just like his essence? I mean, he could have. Makes sense, right? There's like dead rats and bones and maybe human bones in there. Could be. And just the idea of it gathering, too, kind of makes sense that it would be like... Yeah. All these things moving in to create, but there could be like little hangers on. That makes sense to me. I like hmm. it. I accept. Uh, okay. So <laughs> Jake uh, escapes the monster, gets to the door, like sticks the key in, opens it up, and bam, it's just Ugh, dirt and denied. worms. And like the horrifying bit sets in that he may not get through this door. And the house sort of like gets another grab at him. And then we cut back to the other side. And. <laughs> Roland is dragging Susanna with her sex demon over towards the door yeah. and tell her tells her to let go uh, what he says. Uh, uh, meanwhile, e- Eddie knows that he's like got to use the key and he's like sort of in that last uh, streams of panic to like get it into the door. And I, I may have bundled these a little bit because That's I okay. think I think he actually cuts the key and does that dramatic moment like. Yeah, it happens after here. that. But yeah, yeah sorry matter. guys, I'm bad at action. I just blend it all together. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I we're assuming people read the book. We're fine. <laughs> okay. So like, Jake tries to escape. He like jumps up in the air, grabs onto stuff. I think at one point he's sort of like playing Tarzan from a lamp. But as the house like eats itself yeah. to get bigger, the the walls sag and things like mm-hmm. sort of drop down. Like. It's almost the end. the The doorkeeper like is sort of like almost fully formed. Like he's got his big maw open and is about ready to just like crunch down on Jake. And at that moment, like Eddie gets the key in the lock. The door opens. Jake jumps free. The monster eats Jake's jeans and and shoe. Jake gets out one side, and in the meantime, uh, Susanna like releases the demon the this like what was once invisible i don't know if like the the encounter with susanna did this but like now it's sort of like a wisp that they can see fly in to escape on the other side but his escape ends up being his demise as he like rolls into the doorkeeper's mouth and is swallowed alive i think roland grabs him and jumps through and then releases him into his mouth right okay i kind of yeah, I mean, it's a boss move by Roland, so i got to give the dude credit. I did not, like, so I just pictured it as, like, her, like, you know, almost, I don't know, this sounds a little bit. I um, think I know where you're going. Like, it almost <laughs> is like, I thought she, like, kind of climaxed and shot him out, if that makes any Whoa. sense. <laughs> I did not know where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> I was incorrect. No, no, he tells her to release, and then he wraps his arms around it and jumps through. Okay, so I, I was confused about that part, because I reread this the little bit where he gets into the mouth a couple times, because I got confused there. I'm like, well, wait a minute. What just happened? Did he just go? Oh, he went through the door and into his mouth. Okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is cool. It's a good. It's a good way to wrap up two monsters. To be honest, yeah, and, and surprising. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I kind of was because I already knew about this section. But like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's yeah. been a while, so like I didn't right. realize like it kind of went down that way. You kind of forget about little things like that, and it's sort of cool because you get the for a second you get the perspective of the monster that's like i'm free oh shit (laughs) things just got a lot worse and the like monster's face is turning purple Mm -hmm. it's just it's such a good moment right it's very cool 
So I don't see any stars there. I have some stars after about here. Yeah. Okay. About here. So um, we get the setup of how the doors are, like the perspective of the doors work. Um, like the idea that Rollins is pointing down and Jake's is to the side creates like a cool mental picture um, and will be helpful later in our birth scene when he like gets stuck kind of going through the canal at some point and needs an, an assist from Jake. Or uh, from Eddie. But also what it means is that in order to save Jake in this moment, Roland actually has to fall to rescue him. Um, From Roland's perspective, Jake is falling into the mouth of the monster. um, And instead, and it kind of calls back to their time under the mountain, right? So instead of letting Jake fall this time, he takes the leap to rescue him. And so it's kind of this little like, writing a wrong like uh, visually writing the wrong right um that this time instead of passing over the hole he steps into it um and saves him and by reuniting with with um with jake is able to kind of set the world right again i was so confused by this portion like i know when jake goes through the door he's sideways but like yeah i was having trouble like closing my I mean, eyes and visualizing it so i was getting like a whole um Oh God! What's the name of that movie where it's like all twisty, turny, and then everybody's in everybody's dream? In- what Inception. dreams may come? No, Inception. Inception? Yeah, Inception. Like the way that like uh, oh, like where gravity's... you step onto a curve and then gravity's going. Yeah, the other yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the kind of vibe that I was getting. But okay. like I was just thinking about like when you look through the door from Roland's perspective, what you see, even though Jake is moving sideways in his world as he's being dragged into this monster's mouth, is that visually it looks like he is falling. And, like, we all know Jake basically was like, there's more worlds than these, and dropped into the depths, right? Mm-hmm. So this time, instead of passing over, Roland took the leap. And then, it, now hearkening back to our earlier discussion about From Dust to Dust and my thoughts on on Jake walking to his death, yeah. Roland, like, squeezes him and promises him uh, that mm-hmm. he'll never let this happen again. And then, like, Stephen King takes takes an extra effort to go out of his way to say like what Roland's saying is heart disagrees with. Yeah, this is, this is the herein lies the tragedy of Roland Shane, man. Like he's having this amazing moment that this entire, I mean, the last two books have been leading up to this moment where they have this sweet reunion. And there's like such a true love between these two characters. There is like, a tr- they may as well be blood like the father-son bond that they have but even in that moment when their hearts are like full to the brim with joy and like they've gone through everything to get they've crossed worlds to get back together like Susanna sacrificed her V to the demon like everything else <laughs> they've had to do to right this wrong of Jake's death and still in that moment there is a part of Roland that knows that he cannot keep his promise and that is what makes him a tragic character, right? Like, you know, he is mm-hmm. a hero, but he is at his core. There is something broken in Roland. And, yeah, it's, it's like you're just like, fuck, dude, can we have a minute <laughs> before well, the Dark like, Tower madness takes you again? This moment, like, you have two other things that happen. You have, like, Roland and Jake sort of becoming whole as yeah. people. And, their, yeah. you know, their schism or schism or whatever is, is gone. Yeah. And then you have Eddie free from his brother's voice that has been, like, 
taunting and haunting yeah. him and making him feel inadequate. So those two mental things are fixed. But then juxtaposition, you have uh, uh, Susanna and you have Jake like in pretty much tattered nakedness yeah. like next to them. And then I guess for me, once you said the birthing thing that I didn't quite pick up on, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like when you're born, you come out naked. So like somebody's yeah. got to be, you know, less clothed. And that sort of like leaves you in this weird, like you've made things whole, but you've also taken away things that would make you whole. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll revisit the scene in a few books. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, and the Eddie thing, I'm glad you touched on that. Like, um, like, you know, you mentioned it, but there is something subtle but really profound that happens in the section for Eddie. Like, this, when it's he like he realizes, finally got his confidence. Yes, I mean, when Henry's voice is gone, like, I feel like this is the moment, right, where he becomes his his full self he becomes his full gunslinger like there's something about the band all being together that like finally frees him up to fully be himself and you know it's what allowed him probably it, i mean or at least it coincides i guess causation is not correlation or whatever mm -hmm. that saying is um or correlation is not causation that's how that saying goes um it coincides with eddie being able to put on his like gunslinger army himself like he's done it in the past like when when roland slapped him we had that like very emotional scene a couple seconds ago where roland had to like slap the armor onto him basically get a hold of yourself kid right but this time eddie finds that strength within himself and you know well not so just that but it's almost like uh, eddie from a different universe like talking to Eddie himself and like right. telling him like, well, that's the thing. His voice, the voice of Ka has become his own voice. Yeah. And that's, that's where it's like, what? Yes. And so like, like Jake being born into this world, Eddie is like a born as a gunslinger in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I do think, you know, he also like, and I also think we see the death of Eddie, the junkie, you know, he looked into New York city and yes, there was a monster there, but like junkie Eddie would have taken that leap. But he didn't even think about it. That's true. I didn't think of that. That's a yeah. really good point. Deep yeah. cut, Rachel. Deep cut. <laughs> so, so yeah, like there was some, even though they were like small, subtle moments here at the end, I thought they were really profound character moments. Um, and we get like our first, the band is all together. Like we get our first, everybody is in the same place together for the first time in the entire series, right? In tatters. I mean, they have paid the price to get to this place, but they did it. And, you know, like we kind of are going to get to start to see what this dynamic is. I mean, like it's a little awkward, you know, but there is sort of a natural rapport between these characters. They've been through a lot. They've been like psychically linked and like linked through fate. All, all this weird cause stuff with him seeing pieces of their lives, which they're going to have to start putting together and you see some of the confusion around like whether Susanna's father owned a train company, like they're, they're going to sort through all that kind of stuff. But um, we're seeing the the seeds of that, these relationships. And I'm really interested to see how they evolve over the next few books. Um, you said something very important that I actually glazed over that I should say real quick. Like the first thing Jake says, is he like looks over at Susanna and she introduces herself and like Jake says, like, did you own a train? Does your father own a train company? Yeah, and he's like, did you find the train? And then she's like, mm -hmm. no. And then he's like, okay. And then he just moves right on. Yeah, and yeah. it's like that was a weird little 
bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, like, really awkward, but, like, this is a conversation only this group of people could have, right? Like, mm-hmm. only people who have been through, like, like interdimensional doorways and in each other's brains. Can casual and Friday and... about, like, a train? Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, so before we wrap up, there is one thing I'm going to go back really quickly and talk about, which is another Stephen King connection. Okay. It is with the demon. Um, unless there's anything else about that. I'm sorry. I just totally talked about Oh, no, no. You're fine. Else? Like, uh, I basically – that was the only other thing I thought of importance was the bit about Jake and the train because we didn't really, like, say it. We kind of alluded to it. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, that's going to matter soon. Yep. I thought it was fairly important. Yes. Um, so we got – you mentioned we got our first look at what the demon looks like, and it is upsetting. Um, I'm not even going to talk about the hook peen. Like, we, we all lived this together. Let's move on from that. But what he describes it as is basically like this giant manta ray. And this is where there's another possible Stephen King connection. Okay. Universe connection. So the demon is a manta ray. And it's actually, there is another demon manta ray in the universe. Um, have you read The Shining? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so spoilers to the end of The Shining. Sorry, folks. But... Skip forward 30 seconds. Um, so at the end of The Shining, the boiler bursts and the overlook burns. Mm-hmm. And Dick Halloran, unlike in the movie, survives. So he actually sees a demon fly out of the out presidential of the, suite. At, yep. And it is a manta ray demon. Hmm. So, I did not remember that. I remember the demon flying out of the burning house, but I just did not re- realize it was a manta ray. It is a manta ray. Huh. It is shaped like a manta ray. So, so the, in The Shining, they were possessed by a sex demon. Maybe, like, I mean, like in the same way that later on we're going to meet a character that is like, like a uh, it, but feeds on a different thing. Hmm. Maybe these manta ray demons, like some of them are speaking demons that want to fuck. Some of them are, you know, whatever. I mean, possession, kill people, demons, you know. So I buy it. Anyway, I, I like it. Yeah. That's a good connection. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Okay. Overall thoughts. Overall Rachel. thoughts on this. Oh, uh, this section was great. This, even though it is very much a DJ section because it's action packed. Um, it's, it's one of the scenes from the series that made me a fan of, of a book of the books when I was a kid, right? Like before I was like getting into the deep metaphysical stuff and I understood anything beyond the action like this captured my imagination like this monster coming out of the out of the walls and like passing through these worlds this is the part of the series that i first connected with and um i felt like it totally held up it was just as like exciting as it was the first time i read it and i think a lot of it has to do with the way that it's written with king like skipping back and forth between perspectives like it Mm. adds a lot of tension and momentum in in a way that like Makes this very exciting and very cinematic. And, um, you know, the doorkeeper monster is Ace. Like, it's a cool-ass monster. Um, so, yeah, I love this section. Manta Demon Rape aside. <laughs> so, <laughs> me going through this, like, I had to actually slow myself down and, and go back a couple of times. Because mm-hmm. I, I basically just, like, plowed through this. Like, yes, 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 action, fight, yes. <laughs> and then, like, I got to the end, I'm like... Wait a minute. Uh, I probably missed some important, meaningful things. Let's go back again. <laughs> and like, uh, so this this book predates the movie Monster House, but it's like, yeah. Then like, I I was like, man, now I want to watch Monster House again, even though I, I know, know it's like a, a throwaway movie. That's like, no, prob- that movie is solid. I love that movie. 
I mean, it's somebody like sitting there like, well, we got a house and it's a monster. It's a monster house. Da, 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 you know? <laughs> I mean, it's a good elevator pitch. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but like this does have a lot more subtlety to it than, than I, I remember. And uh, honestly, Rachel, like, I feel like I don't know if it's um if it's mental uh, protection of myself, but I had basically like yeah. ignored all of the data business yeah, through yeah, this. Yeah. If that makes any sense, I mean, and maybe it's because I was a younger reader when I went through this, but like I definitely just like tucked that away as though like it didn't happen. Ugh, the bailing hook penis will yeah exactly scarred, it scarred me for life. <laughs> but this this is a great section, and like there was a lot of loss in this. Not in this portion, but like this part of the book, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm glad that the finale is like a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, but it, it ended with this. I will say this ended with a bang, like for sure, mm-hmm. and that's like not a bad pun. Like I mean, like it ended well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really regret the words that I chose. Okay, so plan for the next episode if you are reading along at home. And for you as well, DJ, uh, we are going to start book two, Lud. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so the reading is uh, The Wastelands, book two, Lud, he- A Heap of Broken Images, chapter four, Town and Cot, Town and Cotet, sections one through ten. Awesome. Um, I almost <laughs> forgot one pun I didn't get to throw in there that I had I'd been saving up is like Oh, okay, here we go. When you were talking about Roland, I was gonna say he's a real powerhouse. Uh, real powerhouse? You know, because the house has got the power oh. in it. It's like a <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Excellent. Well played, sir. Solid dad joke. Solid. Ten out of ten would joke again. All right. Okay, cool. So we don't have any Stephen King adaptation news, unfortunately. Um, I mean, like, not Dark Tower specific. I'm very excited about Dr. Sleep. I can't wait. But uh, we did get letters, as I mentioned before. So they are a little spoilery. So if you are, this is your first time reading through the books, you probably want to scram now. We'll see you um, in the next episode. But if you have already gone through this experience once before, stick around. It's kind of interesting. It's fun. It's it's really I don't know I one of the things I struggle with the books is kind of trying to to wrap my brain around how the dynamics of this world and like how little things work and so um, listeners as I mentioned wrote in and gave us some answers so this first one is about bruising in dreams do you remember that uh, remember okay so there's a um, when. Jake is dreaming about Eddie in that park or in the the basketball court. He falls. And when he wakes up, he's like bruised and skinned his knees. Okay. And we were like, dude, if you can get through the world, just do that. (laughs) Like we were like, there's a loophole, jump through it. So, um, uh, one of our listeners wrote in to explain how they interpret that. This first letter comes from Michael from Sweden. Ooh. I know. We're so international up in here. Okay. It says, hi, I'm supposed to be mowing the lawn, so I'll make this quick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for getting in the way of your gardening, sir. Listening to the latest episode and your thoughts about how dreams and reality go into each other regarding bruised knees, it reminded me of the scene from The Matrix where Morpheus and Neo fight in the simulator, and Neo actually gets hurt for real. Morpheus says, your brain makes it real. Might be something similar going on here. Mm. And then he shared the clip. 
uh, and I, but I remember it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I do. Actually. So, and then he said, keep up the good work, long days and pleasant nights in Sweden, which I Google translated from Sweden, Michael. So what do you think of that theory? I think that's a, actually, that's probably a good one. I, I think that's the best I've, I've, I've heard. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the brain makes it real is like as good as anything. And uh, it's better than anything I came up with. So good job, man. I mean, I actually really appreciate this theory because these are the little things that don't matter in the big picture, but they drive me crazy and they pull me out of the book. So having a totally plausible explanation like this, whether it was King's intention or not, like actually really helps me not nitpick over something stupid. So I'm super grateful that he wrote this letter. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much, Michael. Definitely. Thank you for listening. Write us again anytime you have a theory like this that will save me a lot of unnecessary, like, focusing on not stuff that doesn't matter. That's always appreciated. Definitely. Okay. So this one's a little bit longer. This comes from our friend Mario in Spain, who um, wrote us the nice review on iTunes. So he is going to explain how he visualizes the way that the Dark Tower universe works. And it's, like, it's actually really helpful and also confusing so bear with me okay um okay hi folks it's been a long time since i last wrote you but i listen to your podcast whenever it's uploaded not frequently enough (laughs) (laughs) my fault it's all my fault i'm sorry i'm trying um okay i even wrote your review in itunes yes you did thank you very much um i was listening to the last podcast when you were discussing how strange it is to have different ways to change the world's dreams doors etc i will try to describe to you what i think about the dark tower world okay so imagine a huge roundabout there are hundreds and hundreds of streets leaving from the roundabout each of the each is a one-way street that leads to a building each building or world has one door and lots of windows there's only one way in a door but you can look out through the windows which are like dreams okay okay this is where this is the world before it moved on and in the center of the roundabout is the rose slash tower but something happened the crimson king see here's this is the spoiler warning uh, initiated a war so to defend themselves every door was closed and there was no communication anymore between the buildings each evolved independently, uh, even with different time scales. In building A, time was fa- was as fast as building B, but doubled as building C, and so on a hundred times. Uh, also, some buildings grew while others got smaller. Furthermore, even with the doors closed, there had to be a way to get in touch with other buildings, so some secret doors and passages were secretly built between them. Only a few people could use them. Our Cotet, Jack Sawyer from Talisman, and people like that. But it is possible. Sometimes it's even possible for uh, from one building to see what happens in another building through windows, dreams. This means that there are hundreds of buildings, worlds with passages and doors with people living inside. Some people think uh, the end of the war is in the Dark Tower Rose in the roundabout and try to get there like Roland. But the war has been so destructive that there is only one building or world that still leads or has any real access to the tower. You may change between worlds, but that last step into the roundabout can only be done through one world, which is Roland's world. And what is Stephen King's character role? Well, he might have been the architect of the roundabout and the buildings. If you destroy the architect, 
nobody will be able to repair the be able to repair the damage that's it hope i explained it clear sometimes it's a bit confusing what do you think I oh, mean, and by the way, I love Billy Bumblers. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> See, Mario knows the way to my heart. You just got a reference of Billy Bumblers. <laughs> so, so what do you think? The architect thing, like, that almost harkens back to the Matrix. Like, when you get right. to the end and you find out that everything is controlled by the architect. Right. And, and okay. So, so this is all just – the Matrix is all just a ripoff of Stephen King's Dark Tower. You heard well, here, folks. So, okay, I don't want to be too poo-poo-y because, like, it, it's probably my least pop – or my least likable thing about the Dark Towers is, like, when you find out that Stephen King has wrote him, written himself into the book. Oh, yeah, no, totally. And you get sure. to that and you're just like, this is garbage. What the fuck, dude? Come on. Pardon my French. I don't normally cuss on the podcast that much, but – it, it just like it almost made me irritated in a way that I can't describe, and so like to hang even more on him as the architect and so on is just like you know, rubbing his ego in a little more. And I I, I don't I, I I agree with what you're saying, and like your description of the world sounds pretty accurate as far as I can imagine. But when you hang your hat on Stephen King at the end, like I know what you're saying makes perfect sense. It just makes me angry. Yeah, I that is also one of my I'm hoping this time through I'm going to feel differently when King shows up. Um I guessing I won't, but we'll see. You never know. Like it's different the second time through, right? I almost just put the the book down and walked away. When, I like, was quite irritated cuz it's it like are you too. kidding me? It pulled me out of the story. Mm-hmm. But I actually kind of have an opposite reaction to this. Like to me this description which I kind of like and actually helps me it puts a vi- it allows me to visualize how this world might work. It also makes it like it gives me a level of justification for why King would matter in this. It still doesn't just like it doesn't fully justify it, but it takes a little of the sting off. So mm-hmm. I'm into that bit of it. But more, I'm just really into this. Like I've been having trouble. Like I I can understand conceptually the Stephen King universe, but I'd never been able to like put a picture of it in my mind. Like I just kept picturing like bubbles on bubbles on bubbles and bubbles. And like that didn't necessarily fit with how the story goes. Right. Like having this idea of them moving in towards this roundabout, like changed the way I picture the multiverse. And it helped me concretely picture how it works, even though it's like, you know, obviously they're not all buildings, but like, that makes sense to me. The branching buildings make sense to me. Yeah. The other thing I would add in, and and maybe like um, the tunnels sort of describe it, but I almost feel like when the war happened, those windows that you could only look through got broken because I feel like while the door is closed and there are tunnels between sections, there all are also like random entrances of evil into each of those mini verses from like exteriors. And if you're going to stick with the building analogy, that means like a broken window initiative where like the cracks have have popped and like someone has got in through the the back way, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that works because otherwise actually works. The tunnels would like almost put it down to just like only the heroes can get around. And the bad guys. Right. Well, I mean, if you think about when we get later into like Thinnies and Toadash mm-hmm. and going Toadash and stuff, like those are the cracks, right? Yep, exactly. Mm, I like it. Yep. But All right, Mario from Spain. Thumbs up. Yeah? Yeah, otherwise a great analogy. All right, what else you got? 
That's it. That is it for our letters and for the show. I don't have anything else planned unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about. No, those are some deep dives. Uh, really appreciate those letters, guys. Because yeah. like, uh, sometimes like Rachel and I, we dig through these and both of us pick out our own things and we kind of bounce back and forth. But when you're this close to the project, sometimes someone who's standing a little bit further away realizes yeah. that all those words turn into something. <laughs> <laughs> I like having the outside perspectives and like also from people who like clearly had spent time thinking about it because those are our people. Uh, last weird analogy. Like I picture okay. this is um, remember that episode of X-Files where the kids just drawing ones and zeros on pieces of paper. No. Oh, okay. So there's an episode of, of X-Files where a kid is like receiving numbers in his head from like the, the, um, uh, outer space or whatever it doesn't matter but like he puts all the papers on the ground and up close it's just like a bunch of ones and zeros but if you walk up to the second floor and look down it's a picture of his sister oh cool and so like that's how i kind of visualize the listeners is like we're the people that are examining the the individual angels yeah like (laughs) looking like closely at everything but sometimes it takes that person to like step back and see more of the picture to realize that like well it is this tiny thing together it's this other thing that you didn't even notice i love that that's such a great analogy yeah i totally agree i totally agree well If, like our friends Michael and Mario, um, you want to send us your thoughts on anything that we've talked about or theories you have about the universe or whatever, you can email us at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. You can also hit us up directly on the Facebook group, which you should come and join and and start discussions and put your tattoos in there. I know there's got to be some, I know there's got to be some Dark Tower tattoos out in this audience. I want to see them. Um, so put them in the group, whatever. Um, yeah. Anything else before we wrap it up? No, that's it for me. Awesome. Oh, and if you enjoy the show, leave us a review on iTunes. I knew I was forgetting something. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In that case, is there anywhere on the internet they can find you, DJ? Um, I am a ghost these days, guys. Uh, I have, uh, basically stopped posting YouTube videos and other than doing this particular podcast right here. It's exclusive. That's all Yeah. I mean, uh, I've got a band lab account now. I'm working in collab with like five or six people to write a couple of albums and then doing editing. We've got, uh, the, the next installment of shivers down your spine which is like trickles down your spine i think i don't know trickles down your spine i don't Hmm. they've got a um they we had shivers chills i don't know what the last the the next iteration is i should know this but but that's all i'm working on so film projects and this podcast so no more where you can find me you can find me right here at my home with rachel Oh, I love that. (laughs) Well, if you want some more of me, obviously you can go back and listen to more of these episodes or you can um, listen to me talk about horror uh, on the Zombie Girls podcast or you can hear me talk about horror that you can stream on the internet on the Stream Queens. Um, And I hope that you will. All right, cool. Take us out, DJ. As always, thanks for listening to another exciting episode of the Cast of Caw, where Woo-hoo. we deal with things shaped like barbs that should never be put no! in your body. No! <laughs> no! I will. No! <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Such a dark note to leave it on. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop recording.